Crest in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. And good afternoon. Thank you for joining me. This hour, we take a look at one of those doctrines which has become a key divider between Catholics and Protestants, generally speaking. Uh, it is the doctrine of justification by faith. Now, the traditional Lutheran approach to this is justification by faith alone. And that is also the Reformed uh, and Presbyterian traditions uh, believe, too, uh, justification by faith alone. It's true among the um, English Baptists and American Baptists, justification by faith alone, the emphasis on the alone. Catholics certainly believe in justification by faith. We believe in justification by faith working in love. That's actually the Pauline formula, uh, faith working in love. It's, it's an important area to get straight. Uh, and I do think that my guest today, Steve Wood, has done as good a job as anybody, and better than om- almost everybody, at demonstrating what we share with non-Catholic Christians when it comes to justification by faith, and where there's a parting of the ways. But the key to Steve's presentation, and key to a proper understanding of justification by faith, is grace. The initiative that God takes in um, giving us grace, what he provided for us in Christ, in which is graciously applied to our lives as we exercise faith. You're going to enjoy this. Uh, I do bring up that this is an important point in the history of doctrine. Uh, one of the great historians of doctrine in the uh, evangelical tradition uh, has said that justification by faith alone was a theological novum uh, in our history. So, in other words, before Luther, there was no explicit doctrine of justification by faith alone. So lots coming up. I think you're going to enjoy it. Steve does a great job of explaining this in, in popular language, and I know that uh, you know we'll all benefit from his presentation. First, though, I want to make sure that we get to today's headlines. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. The question of justification by faith is one of the key dividers between Catholics and Protestants. In the view of uh, Martin Luther, uh, this was, of course, the uh, material principle of the Reformation by which uh, the gospel stood or fell. Uh, In the Protestant viewpoint, generally speaking, God is a merciful judge before whom the sinner stands guilty. Uh, The judge comes along and declares the sinner not guilty. Uh, There's no inward change in the person. but you are no longer uh, condemned. You, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You receive that by faith. Catholics don't deny that there's a forensic nature to justification, you know, a legal dimension to it. But they believe there's a more profound change that occurs in justification, um, not just going from guilty to not guilty, 
But also, there's regeneration of the soul. There's adoption into the family of God. Steve Wood knows this, uh, both at the personal level and through the theological uh, study. Steve, you know, is the uh, author of several uh, books that we've discussed here on this program. He's also founder of the Family Life Center International and St. Joseph's Covenant Keepers. And he did serve as an evangelical pastor before entering the Catholic Church in 1990. You can follow his work at dads.org. Steve, great to have you back here. Thanks. Good to be with you, Al. Talk to me about your first coming to awakening to the idea of justification by God's grace. Well, I came uh, as an, basically, I guess before I was an evangelical, I was just a stumbling around pagan serving in the U.S. Navy, a college dropout. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I happened to find a little penny track that was thrown away. I picked it up from the deck of my ship, and it started talking about the grace of God at a sinner's prayer. I started reading the Bible to free my karma. I thought that was my goal of salvation. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I really did free my karma, but not in the way the Eastern religions describe. I just came into an encounter with Christ. And I had to kind of start from scratch. I mean, I was raised in a Christian home, attended church, but like many of our generation, it just didn't seem to stick very well. Mm -hmm. So I basically started from zero. But my first steps were a realization that, um, you know, I had strayed as a prodigal son, and I came into a relationship with Jesus and his Father and the Holy Spirit. I knew that was because of grace. That was the only reason. I could call myself a Christian. It wasn't because of what I did, because of what Christ did. Yes. So that was my starting point, that grace is the path of salvation. And then I did the most dangerous thing a person can do who doesn't want to become a Catholic, and that was me. I started reading early church fathers, and not <laughs> church history textbooks, but I'm talking about just sitting down and reading the fathers, particularly the earliest of those church fathers, the apostolic fathers. Yes. And it became very shocking to me that, boy, this sounds an awful lot like Catholicism. Right. And, but there's just this huge wall, I mean, concrete reinforced with steel wall between Protestants and Catholics. If you really know the score here, it's justification. How could I even consider the Catholic Church when I thought it denied that our relation with God, our righteousness, our justification... Uh, I thought the Catholic Church denied it was by grace. So, you know, <laughs> what do you do with that right. other than then start studying what the Catholic Church itself says? And I really need to emphasize this, not only for Catholic listeners, but for Protestant friends listening as well. Uh, I relied for years on what others had said the Catholic Church believes without taking this step to try to find out what the Catholic Church says of itself. And boy, that's a huge difference. Yeah, yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, I, I, was very, I was very confused about what the Catholic Church taught. Um, you returned to the Church, in, or came into the Church in 1990. Uh, Correct. I, re- I returned to the Church in 92. Those are both dates before the Catechism uh, in English. Uh, so, where did you find, uh, uh, where did you come across what you thought was confident, you were confident this was authentic Catholic teaching before the Catechism came out? 
Oh my! I, I just need to put in a PS. If if I had had the catechism, uh, it, it would have <laughs> saved many late nights it, yep. because uh, it, it was tough because it, it to try to find what's up, uh, you know. But really, you go back to Trent, mm-hmm. and the most difficult thing for me though is I kept trying to put in in the Council of Trent, which was a response to the Protestant Reformation in, in the sixth session, it deals extensively with justification. But I had a problem, Al, that, that went on actually for a few years in that I kept trying to put what Trent was saying within my Protestant categories Interesting. of justification yeah. and salvation. And I didn't really realize that we're talking about differing definitions when we even use the word justification mm. and differing categories and differing conceptions of what happens when you're justified. Right, right. So obviously I couldn't put what the Catholic Church was teaching in Trent within my evangelical categories. I had to discover, and it was kind of a do-it-yourself project, it took a little longer than necessary, but nonetheless, I think, oh, there's two paths here. And it's not that one denies the Bible, one affirms it. If I really want to put it in a nutshell, you take like the Epistle to Romans, which is the most extensive treatment on justification in the Bible. Protestants will con- concentrate very carefully on chapters one through four. Mm-hmm. Catholic Church doesn't deny that, except it'll blast through the whole epistle. In other words, it'll use everything mentioned in that epistle whose theme is justification by grace. And so then I had to start putting the pieces together. Uh, Scott Hahn was a seminary classmate of mine, and um, he helped me a lot, really pointing to the nature of adoption, which I hope we can cover, because to me, and I'm into building bridges between Catholics and evangelicals, sure. not bombing the other side. Right, right. Because uh, I think, uh, given the condition of today's world particularly, we could really use some more evangelicals becoming Catholic Amen. and standing together. But nonetheless, I, I think the traditional ways of debating about this, when it's divorced from that overriding notion of adoption and becoming a child of God, and the, the key that I just stared at, I can't tell you how long I stared at one tiny little paragraph in the Council of Trent. It had a brief summary of justification. Now, to my knowledge, as an evangelical, when I stared at that, I couldn't see justification in it, because all it talked about, basically, was becoming or transitioning from a child of Adam to becoming a child of God, adopted mm-hmm. as sons. I thought, well, that's talking about adoption. That's right. not talking about justification. Right, right. No, it is. So, you know, if I was, I would say, like, I was, I was in an upper division theology class, and we had a whole semester on justification. My final question, this would be your total final exam, name the various aspects where Protestants and Catholics differ on justification, and then describe how adoption is the bridge between the two. That is what really I encountered, <laughs> and, it, and, and to me it was a wonderful answer, because as I mentioned in the book, um, this was years before I ever gave thought of becoming a Catholic, 
uh, Dr. J.I. Packer's book in Knowing God yeah, wonderful book. had yeah. a section in there that just brought me up short. I was, you know, pretty fresh out of seminary and pretty convinced I knew everything, you know. <laughs> I could read Greek and this and that. Right. And when he mentioned in that book, see what a man makes of having God as his father, and that's how well that person understands the message of the New Testament. And it really brought me up short. I, I remember getting on my knees in my pastor's study and just asking God to show me, you know, that I just somehow, I mean, I knew it abstractly, but not really as part of my life. And, and really becoming a Catholic and understanding Catholic views on justification has really answered that prayer. It took... Yeah. A few decades, and I'm a very impatient person. So. <laughs> but nonetheless, that's the heart of what we need to talk about, is having God as Father. And when you can grab that, uh, you'll get justification. Now, that's in, I mean, that's, I, I agree with you. I, I think that's beautiful. Uh, do, is the problem, then, that evangelicals tend to, they get tunnel vision, um, I, I had a similar experience, by the way, but they get tunnel vision. I had tunnel vision on justification as kind of a bottom line forensic or legal declaration uh, with no necessary change. You confess your sin, your uh, faith in Christ, and uh, he takes the penalty for your sin. The judge declares you not guilty and you're off and running. Is is it is it this the problem that the the Protestant uh, classic Protestant tradition tends to focus on just the legal dim dimension of justification? Well, yes, they do, and there's there's a couple of reasons, perhaps why. One, of course, it all began with Martin Luther, who had great internal difficulties, right. and. You know, bottom line, and people have accused me of saying this is an ad hominem argument. I, I don't mean it at all. Luther had a really rough relationship with his father. Yeah, that's true. And uh, sometimes it's very hard, apart from the healing of the Holy Spirit, to say our father who art in heaven or, or try to see salvation in terms of fatherhood. So he tried to come up with a method of justification that didn't involve the internal life, because his internal life was in turmoil. Yeah. So he had one, you know, that was external to yes. the person. And as a result, Protestants ever since has tried to separate adoption from justification. Don't get me wrong. Protestants clearly believe in adoption, right. but right. they want to separate it from justification because when you start moving into adoption, it's like you have a father who tries to transform you internally and externally into an image of himself, mm -hmm. and that would then go against trying to just have it internal. But on a second note, but with Luther, wasn't say, that with, with Luther wasn't that entirely novel in the history of uh, Christian teaching? This hmm, that's a good question. This external, you know, this external emphasis well, on justification. Yeah, if it had been uh, before, it no one had brought it with with such power yeah. and forcefulness okay. as Luther. And that's his internal life, which exploded to the world, you know. Yeah. But I need to mention something in favor of the evangelical. Sure. Well, in fact, why don't and you hold it, hold it. Hey, Steve, hold it there. Okay. I, I hear the music coming up. We'll take a break right. and come back, and we'll pick it up right at that point of saying something in favor of uh, evangelicals here. My guest, Steve Wood. 
author of Grace and Justification, an Evangelical's Guide to Catholic Beliefs. I'm Al Cresto. We'll be right back. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresto. With me is Steve Wood. He is author of Grace and Justification, an Evangelical's, uh, an evangelical's Guide to Catholic Beliefs. Um, he served as an evangelical pastor for years before uh, entering the Catholic Church. He's also founder of Family Life Center International and St. Joseph's Covenant Keepers, and you can follow his work at dads.org. Before the break, we were talking about uh, Luther's inner turmoil and his drive to uh, make justification an external decree of God. Uh, and in the midst of all this, you were saying, I want to say something positive about uh, evangelicals here. Exactly, Al. The emphasis in the evangelical world on grace, you know, even if your theology isn't perfect, God doesn't, you know, does, right. you're not required to have a Ph.D. in theology in order to find eternal life with Jesus Christ. Right. And if you emphasize grace and the dependence on God, that is really the key in both Protestantism and Catholicism, mm -hmm. both. Right. And once you really kind of hear that dependence on God, that he truly loves you despite whatever you have done and such, if you place your, your trust in him, that's so liberating yep. that, on the other hand, I would fault Catholicism, and it's kind of an assumption that everybody knows this, and so they might go on to other things where they have skipped first base. To use a baseball analogy, if you skip first base, you can't get any You can't run. move forward, yeah. right? Yes, you have to hit that, and evangelicals do. And it's, that is just as big a part of the Catholic faith, but sometimes we assume right. that everybody knows that, so we go on to other things. Yes, And I think that's why it's maybe so hard to convince someone in the evangelical world that, you know, the Catholicism also teaches that it's by grace that we enter into this relationship right. with Jesus. And both Protestants and Catholics believe that faith is the beginning and the root of that. That's right. But, you know, for Catholics, there's more to it. And so, so often we go to the part of, I go back to baseball analogy, the second, third, and home. But I think the emphasis on first base would be a great thing for Catholics to do and also it would be a winsome way to show evangelicals that, you know, we're also depending fully, completely, and totally on the grace of God for salvation. Isn't this supposed to be one major part of the new evangelization? It's, it's looking to uh, Catholics themselves who haven't become aware of this getting to first base, again, the grace of God in one's life, and uh, that so you can you can uh, stand before God and call Him Father. Well, in my opinion, now what you just said is the defining need of the 21st century yeah. for Catholics. In fact, I'm, I'm in the midst of writing a book on the practical applications of grace for Catholics, and in particular. You know, there's such a massive falling away of Catholic young people. Yeah. And it, it just by kind of uh, happenstance, so to speak. You know, when you're out speaking in public, you learn some things. Yeah. And I've noticed Catholic faces 
when I am talking about this, that we have to depend on God for our salvation. Even our good works are not something we do from right. our internal steam, but this, this is why we have the Eucharist, to give us grace so that we can do what Christ commands. But when you see that burden lifted, and I'm convinced that literally millions, and I'm not exaggerating here, millions of Catholic youth are falling away because they're trying to live the Catholic faith on their own steam. Ugh. And in, with today's culture, it's not working. Right. It might have worked in the 1950s. I don't know. Yeah. I wasn't a Catholic then. But the culture is so strong, and they're trying to do this on their own steam, and then they give up. Yeah. And there's a section, actually, the authors of the Catechism, then Cardinal Ratzinger and Bishop Schornborn, obviously both got promotions after completing Catechism, <laughs> But they mention in there that the entire structure of the Catechism of the Catholic Church is designed to emphasize grace. And I've been talking this with folks now for five or six years. I've never yet met a Catholic, including a catechist, who was aware of this. Interesting. And they said the entire arrangement of the Catechism, and it's the creed, who God is and what he has done on our behalf, is to emphasize God's part. And then the sacraments how the grace comes to us through the sacraments, and only then can you start discussing commandments. And Cardinal Schornborn says, if you start discussing the Ten Commandments, apart from an emphasis on grace, the person's going to, I mean, this is my paraphrasing of it, they're going to run out of gas. Yes. And yes. I'm convinced that's what's happening to Catholic youth by untold numbers. Yeah. And, and it, just even very specific, Let's say you're having a, a purity talk, chastity talk, and your emphasis is on doing this or doing that, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But if it's just on doing, 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 and you don't emphasize grace, um, they're going to run out of steam, yep. and then they're going to give up. And so that's why I see the practical import of this is I, I just don't know of uh, anything is really as important because we need God's grace to live in the 21st century. Yeah. No, that's beautifully put. Y years ago, I uh, I was trying to find my way back to the Catholic Church, and I didn't. I was confused about what it taught. I remember I asked a priest, um, "What is the gospel?" And he said, "To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and uh, strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself." And I said, well, "Father, I I believe that that's what we ought to do, but that doesn't sound like good news to me." Because I failed to do that as I should, uh, mm. he he gave me the the condensation of the law that Jesus gave us uh, as the gospel, and I thought, you know, he I, I'm sure he understands grace, but when I asked him what the gospel was, he gave me the law, and I mm -hmm. think that's probably the case for a lot of Catholic young people. Well, it is. I can remember I was at a, a men's conference up in the, uh, where was it, North Dakota. And I remember as a college student sitting in the front row. And when I started mentioning, you know, this idea of trying to keep the Ten Commandments on your own steam, and it's how it's a big mistake, and yeah. it's a misreading of the entire catechism of the Catholic Church and the message of the New Testament, his face, you could just tell, it went from contortions to joy to, you know, like, wow, <laughs> 
you're talking about the new evangelization that was taking place. Yeah. And, you know, I got back to South Carolina, I think, in 72 hours. The college students up in North Dakota wanted me back up. Just what to talk about. Grace and justification. So I do think there's there's some real hope here for basically putting our trust, you know, in Christ. And, you know, the the evangelical question, you're familiar with this, you know, if you were to die tonight right. yeah, from before God in heaven, he, he would say, why should I let you in? I would say the primary reason, why should I let you in? Right. And if if the answer is, in, is like, I, and if doesn't have God or something about God as a direct object, like, in other words, you say, I trust in God or I trust in Jesus' merciful love, you're in good shape. Right. But if it's, I tried to be a good person, or I tried to keep the Ten Commandments, or I went to Mass, or I did this, that's self-salvation. That's right. And, and if you'll ask your children or ask yourself, uh, ask the person sitting next to you in Mass, you'll hear a lot of eyes. Yeah. And this is what also, uh, when evangelicals ask Catholics, I think, well, they're just trusting themselves rather than Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And it's so liberating to trust Jesus. and. It doesn't turn into some kind of flabby Christianity where you just live any which way you want, but trusting in Jesus, you'll be granted the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and that's the power to do what Jesus commands. Right. Otherwise, right. Uh, I know myself, I know myself well enough to know I would just fall so flat on my face so quickly, but that's the key in the New Covenant is the Holy Spirit comes from those who, comes to those who trust in Christ. Yeah. Yeah, I I used to go door to door with the Kennedy uh, Kennedy evangelism explosion. Yes, and so those mm-hmm. questions were central. Uh, that question, if you were to die tonight, why should God let you into His heaven, was always a very telling uh, question. And I agree with you. Uh, so often people will say, "Well, because I try hard," that's uh, what it comes down to, and that lets you know that they haven't really un- experienced or understood the grace of God. What happens when we are justified? Well, when we are justified, we're brought into a re, we're into the family of God. You know, the you mentioned in your opening words that you know Protestant justification. It's the notion that you're guilty before a divine judge, and so the idea is you stand guilty before the judge, and he pronounces you not guilty. And that's the legal or forensic view of justification in Protestantism. Catholicism doesn't undermine that or deny that, but the emphasis is more the prodigal son in Luke 15. Right. And you're an estranged son who has rebelled in sin against the Father and broken relationship with the Father, and through Christ, God. The whole setting is not courtroom, it's family room. You're brought into the family of God. And the miracle of all this is that God then wants to begin to live his life through you. Mm-hmm. That's the new covenant. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not just the first moment of justification, which is, actually, there's not that much difference between Protestantism and Catholicism at that first moment. But the first moment is kind of the end of the story within the Protestant mm-hmm. faith on right. justification. In Catholicism, it's the whole process of salvation, as Cardinal Newman said. So it, it, this is something, justification doesn't stand alone, then, within Catholicism. No. 
no. it, it says, like in First Corinthians chapter six, there's sanctification uh, there, and there's regeneration that takes place at the moment of justification. Correct. Okay. And justification would be probably better viewed as an umbrella term covering the whole of the Christian life and what God wants to do with his children after they have been brought into a relationship with him. So it's not just that first moment. There's everything to do with it. That's why, again, going back to Paul's letters to the Romans, justification is the theme of the epistle. And you might ask, even novice writers know that, you know, whatever you write, the parts have to relate to the theme. Right. And yet Protestants say the theme of Romans is justification, but it's only covered in the first four chapters. Right, right. It's the whole epistle. They don't carry it through, right? Steve, can you stay with me another uh, 13 or so minutes? Certainly. Very good. My guest, Steve Wood, is uh, author of Grace and Justification, an Evangelical's Guide to Catholic Beliefs. Again, trying to understand this most disputed area of difference between uh, Catholics and Protestants. I'm Al Cresta. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. With me, Steve Wood, looking at Grace and Justification, an Evangelical's Guide to Catholic Beliefs. I can remember the first time I read 1 Corinthians 6, you know, beginning at verse 13, maybe 17, I can't remember now. And he's speaking to the Corinthians, he says, you're not, if you're sexually immoral, if you're uh, homosexual offenders, if you're thieves, uh, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And I can remember, because at that time, I had been thinking that justification was the first phase that we went through in salvation, and then there was sanctification, and then there was glorification. And here, uh, St. Paul was kind of making them all relate to one another. That was a real breakthrough for me. So what is the relationship then between, say, baptism and uh, justification? Well, going back to the epistle to Romans, again, if it's the whole epistle talking about justification and not just the first four chapters, Mm -hmm. Paul gets to chapter 5 when he talks about we're then become in Christ. That's changing our whole position from being a child of Adam to being a child of grace. And then the next chapter, chapter 6, starts talking about baptism. And somebody might say, well, Paul just throws in something about baptism. Paul doesn't throw anything in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is a sustained argument. So how do we become a part of God's family? How do we become a child of God and transition out of that? And that's what baptism is. It brings us a new life in Christ. And that's why we don't have to live the old way, because we've actually been brought into a new life where God himself shares his life with us so we can live like him. And this is the miracle of the New Covenant, and so that's why you have Romans 6 right after the first five chapters, because it's part of what our justification is. And going back to your 1 Corinthians 6, yeah, that really, uh, because I had, uh, particularly in my seminary training, you know, some Calvinistic influence, and there's a particular order of salvation, you know, they're all lined up like dominoes, but separate. At 1 Corinthians 6 seems to say, no, this seems like a package deal here, you know, that <laughs> right. God forgives us, restores us, cleanses us, gives us new life. And that's what the Catholic view of justification, in fact, is. So that verse, particularly the order in that verse, kind of throws a lot of things out of whack if you are 
depending on the Protestant view. And again, trying to keep these things separate. And it's interesting to me that in a number of commentaries or systematic theologies, there will be the assertion made, we need to keep separate justification and adoption, but not why. Right, <laughs> you know, right. Why, why do we need to keep them so separate? Because, you know, this is flowing like the Scripture. And I have in my book a kind of a, a interesting diagram that it shows about eight chapters of the book of Romans covering everything from forgiveness of sin through justification, restoring as a child of God, baptism and everything. So you're covering about eight chapters of Romans, and the same thing is found in Galatians, a very similar epistle but shorter, in one single paragraph. So how can you tell me that Paul is talking about six different things in one single paragraph? You know, you don't do that. That's just jilting language to imagine that. And so this is the conception, and it's very comprehensive. So that's why you find in Catholicism a much stronger emphasis, not only on the first steps of coming into relation with God by faith, but it'll have the other steps as well. And Protestants will look at, well, you're adding on to it. No, I'm not adding on to it. This right. is the plan. This is the, the whole plan. In New Testament studies over the last generation, there's been a lot of rethinking Paul on this question of justification. Sometimes it's called the new perspective on Paul. It goes back to insights from uh, E.P. Sanders and James Dunn and among evangelicals, N.T. Wright. Is this something we should be cheering? I believe so, mm -hmm. even though, I'll just tell you a brief experience, in 2010, the Evangelical Theological Society held its annual meeting in Atlanta. I decided to go because it was all around the theme of justification. Now, you would think this is only seven years short of 500 years of Protestantism. You think justification, that's old news. But it had reached such a pinnacle of interest because of this new perspective. It was the largest attendance they've ever had at the Evangelical Theological wow. Society, wow. and they wanted to talk about this. The president of the Evangelical Society, in the year since their previous meeting, had resigned and become a Catholic. And they only gave him a uh, one of the side conference rooms for his talk on Aquinas and justification. Well, it was standing room only, people pouring out into the hallway. <laughs> and then, of course, N.T. Wright was there, and uh, they had a Baptist theologian on his left and a Presbyterian theologian on his right, and uh, he very calmly <laughs> took care of, you know, the attacks. But bottom line, here it is. History is the friend of the Catholic Church. As right. I mentioned, if you just really want to know about the Catholic Church, start reading church history itself. Primary documents, not textbooks, just read the primary documents. And what these men have done is discovered in the first century Judaism, which had been characterized, and I was guilty of this for years, of saying the Jews in the first century were legalists. Yeah. They were like the Pelagians that St. Augustine battled. It was self-salvation, and that's what St. Paul was so strong about. And they found out through the first century documents that just was simply not the case. It had nothing to do with how you enter a relationship with God. We would say how you get saved, so to speak. Mm -hmm. They realized it was because of God's mercy. They were small, they were insignificant, but God loved them. He had mercy on them. That's why they were in covenant with God. What the works of the law were, were things like circumcision, Sabbath-keeping, food regulations, designed to keep Jews separate from Gentiles. Because in the Old Covenant, they didn't have the internal grace. And so God, through these things, kept a wall 
so that the Jews wouldn't be influenced unduly by their Gentile neighbors. Mm -hmm. These are their ethnic identity markers. Yes, exactly. And it was like a protective hedge. And Mm -hmm. this parents really need to hear this because good parents today, even good homeschooling parents particularly, if you see the dangers from the other culture, so to speak, surrounding us, your tendency was to say, oh, no, I'm just going to build bigger and thicker walls. But St. Paul was the person designed by God to knock the wall down between Jew and Gentile, because now, instead of a wall that really didn't work well, because Israel kept stumbling and falling into sin of their neighbors, now what happens once you're in covenant with God, he gives you his Holy Spirit, and he empowers you and puts within you the will to obey him voluntarily with your heart so that you can stand up to any culture. This is why the early Christians could survive in pagan Rome. They had it. So the new perspective is basically saying that Jews weren't the Pelagians that Luther accused them of. And then Luther also accused the Catholic Church of being like first-century Jews. Right. And if the first-century Jews weren't the Pelagians that Luther thought they were, and he compared Catholics to them, he basically doubly wrong. Right. Because they were depending on God's grace. They were trying to have a wall to stay in that relationship. In the New Covenant, the wall is down, and the way you stay faithful, the key is the Holy Spirit. And the only way you keep the Holy Spirit is by keeping a dependence upon God through faith, not the little engine that could, trying to go uphill. Right. One topic that comes up regularly is the question of, can one lose one's salvation? And often that's used to kind of force Catholics to admit that somehow they're saved by works. What does the Church teach about the moral assurance of salvation? Well, there's two ways I would address that quickly. One, when we talk about lose our salvation, can you lose your salvation? What do you exactly mean by right. lost? Is it like losing your remote control or your car keys, or is it something different? And I reframe the question when I'm asked that. And I ask the question in this way. I said, do you mean can a child of God willfully reject the love of the Father and depart from him into a sinful lifestyle? And they start understanding real quick. I'm talking about the prodigal son in Luke 15. And the obvious answer is yes, and that is losing your salvation. That's a conscious, willful rejection of the love and the relationship with the Father. That's what mortal sin is in Catholic thinking. And so, yes, you can depart. Does that mean that you are forever doomed and damned? No, because there's always restoration. The Father in the parable of the prodigal son, comes running out to embrace the son and gives him signs of sonship, brings him back into the family. And so, yes, you can, in Catholic doctrine of salvation, lose one's salvation. I've had some pretty hardcore Protestant friends hit me on that, and I generally send them, though, a passage from Ezekiel, where it talks about if a righteous man turns from his righteousness and sins, will he be forgiven? And God says, no. But if an unrighteous man turns from his unrighteousness to righteousness, will he be forgiven? And the answer is yes. And then the objection is thrown up to God. Well, that's unjust. Of course, that's what you hear when you're talking about this. And God says, no, it's not my ways that are unjust. It's your ways. In other words, live a righteous life. And in case you didn't get the first time in Ezekiel, he repeats it. And personally, I have found some pretty hardcore friends calm down pretty quick after kind of taking a second look at that yeah. Ezekiel 18 passage. Yeah. 
One last question here. What about becoming a partaker of the divine nature? What's the relationship between justification and divinization? Oh, boy, this is a biggie. As I mentioned in the book, I almost didn't put it in. But on the other hand, it is a part of Catholic salvation and justification to understand is this big umbrella. The key paragraph for understanding grace and justification in the Catechism is Mm -hmm. section 1996. I say if there's one paragraph you need to understand, it's the first sentence of 1996. It says, our justification comes from the grace of God. That's where I got the title of my book from section 1996. But it goes on. It says, Grace is that help God gives us to respond to his call, become the children of God, and partakers of the divine nature and of eternal life. Next paragraph, grace is a participation in the life of God. And we're talking about when God gives us grace in the sacraments, when God bestows to us his Holy Spirit, we're not talking about some kind of like jolt, like a a strike of lightning or electricity or something. This is the very presence and life of God in our souls, and he gives us this grace in order to, in this life, gradually transforms us into his likeness so that we might become sons of God and we might resemble our Heavenly Father. And it sounds outrageous, and honestly it is. Any evangelicals listening, I know one of your favorite authors before you I even ask, and that's going to be C.S. Lewis, and it was in Mere Christianity, this. And I totally missed it, because, I mean, it's a book that I've read and referred to and love, and also The Weight of Glory. Lewis used to read Athanasius, and Athanasius was probably the most stark Orthodox Church father standing for the truth of Christ, and he talks about God wants to make us small g gods. In yeah. other words, he wants us to reflect himself, so he gives us his life. And so I kind of challenged my evangelical friends in the beginning of the book in that which view of justification more exalts the grace of God. And, you know, being forgiven of sins is no minor deal. It's a great thing. Right. Like be forgiven in a courtroom, but how about to be ushered into the very presence of God and him sharing his life with you? That's unimaginable. The angels couldn't even imagine such a thing, and that's exactly what God has in store for his people. Amen. Steve, how do people stay in touch with your work? Dads.org. If they order from us at dads.org, I also have kind of a dummy's guide to kind of get you going, because a lot of folks don't have a good grounding in this, so Mm -hmm. I try to very gently provide a foundation for it. Okay, very good. Steve, thanks so much. Wonderful talking with you again. Thanks. Thank you, Al. Appreciate it. Steve Wood, it's called Grace and Justification, an Evangelical's Guide to Catholic Beliefs. Dads.org is where you want to go. It really is, I think, the most understandable presentation of the similarities and differences between a Catholic and Protestant's understanding of justification by faith. Again, dads.org. I'm Al Creston. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Thank you for being with me over these last two hours. And let me remind you that coming up next, Catholic Answers Live, equipping you to answer those questions that may be asked. People want to know why it is that we believe what we believe. 
You can follow up on our conversations today by going to AveMariaRadio.net, and there you'll find information on the Ignatian journey through the Stations of the Cross that Gary Jansen shared with us in the first hour, and then uh, Matthew Bunsen's analysis of the German synodal way, now formally uh, calling for a blessing of same-sex unions, and then following up with Steve's outstanding book on grace and justification, which is available in the online bookstore. Head on over to AveMariaRadio.net, go to the bookstore, go to the guest archives, and Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow. I'm Al Cresta. Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. To follow up on any of the guests or information presented on today's program, visit Cresta Guest Archive at AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-M-A-R-I-A, radio.net. To listen to this or any other edition of Cresta in the Afternoon, visit the audio archives at AveMariaRadio.net. Or to order a CD of the program, call 734-930-4506 or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net. That's 734-930-4506 or orders at AveMariaRadio.net.